Ministry Mentorship, Episode 42. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. Before we get started, I want to let you know about our next Ministry Mentorship live Bible study taking place on the 27th of this month at 8 p.m. Central Time. Special guest Mitchell Bland from St. Louis, Missouri is going to be our speaker and he is a uh, tremendous minister and preacher of the gospel. Uh, he's a counselor, and uh, he's going to just be sharing uh, about how a young minister can stay healthy emotionally and spiritually, and I know you're not going to want to miss this study. Uh, we have several that use this Bible study as a small group event, and uh, they print off the handouts to follow along during the lesson. You're also going to be able to text a question or a comment, and you can get uh, involved in the discussion after the uh, initial Bible study part. We usually go for about uh, 20, 25 minutes of Bible study from the uh, speaker, and then we have some discussion afterwards. So we'd love for you to join us. For more information, you can go to ministrymentorship.com backslash Bible dash study, or you can look for the Bible study link on our website. We've had several of you that have donated already to this ministry, and I want to thank Pastor Dustin Tallman and Pastor Juan Tapia for their support and financial gifts. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at ministrymentorship.com backslash donate, and a gift of any amount is greatly appreciated and will help us continue connecting young people with apostolic leaders. In this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor James Carney. Brother Carney is going to be sharing uh, his rather unconventional journey into ministry, and he's going to offer some excellent advice and insight for the young minister that wants to take their ministry to the next level. He has a love for and a desire to impact young ministers, and I know that you're going to be blessed as you listen to this interview. And Let's join the conversation now. Okay, we're thankful to be speaking today with uh, Pastor James Carney. He serves as the bishop at uh, the Woodlawn Church in Columbia, Mississippi, and he has been uh, served as the district superintendent of Mississippi for four years. He has over 29 years of ministerial experience and just a tremendous minister and leader. Uh, Brother Carney, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brother Tapio. It's an honor to be here. Now, tell us a little bit of your story. Okay, uh, I'm the son of a, I would say, a pioneer preacher, the late Reverend A.E. Carney. He was a pastor of State Line United Pentecostal Church that was located near Tylertown, Mississippi. It was located, or it is located in South Mississippi, but it has been a part of the Louisiana district from its inception, which was probably back in the 1940s. Um, I am the youngest of six siblings, and uh, out of the state line church came some great men of God that was mentored by my daddy. Uh, his name, I say again, Reverend A.E. Carney. Men like the late G.R. Travis, who was a former district superintendent of Mississippi for many years, came out of the state line church on my dad, the late Reverend. Albert Travis, Presbyterian pastor of 
Sonny Hill UPC Church, Purvis, Mississippi. Reverend Jerry Jones, General Secretary of the United Pentecostal Church International, came out of that state behind church. Reverend Jerry Wayne Dillon, Pastor Parkway, Apostolic Church in Madison. Reverend Larry Webb, Pastor of First Pentecostal Church of Milton, Florida. Reverend Larry Hart, Pastor of Lighthouse, UPC Church of Loosedale. The list just goes on and on. Mm, wow. At the age of nine, I received the Holy Ghost and a revival at Stateline. The evangelist was my dad who was preaching his own revival. And um, that started my spiritual walk as a young, just a kid. Within a, a tremendous church, Stateline Church was a, it was a country church, but it was a very powerful church. Uh, it was known if people wanted to receive the Holy Ghost or they needed healing, bring them to state line. And uh, I did, as a kid, get to see a lot of miracles happen in my early life. Just uh, graduated from high school and did not go into the ministry. Uh, attended the University of Southern Mississippi, Hattiesburg, and uh, have a BS degree in accounting. On leaving college, I was employed by an international paper company for five years as a cost accountant in Basketball, Louisiana. 1974, I moved my family to Columbia, Mississippi, and became a part of the Woodlawn United Pentecostal Church that was pastored by Reverend Floyd Odom. I was the general manager, secretary, and treasurer of Wallace Construction Company that was owned by Thomas L. Wallace. And I held that position for 13 years. We were in the highway construction business and also the commercial construction business. I'm married to a wonderful wife, Jean Carney, who's also a PK. And uh, we've been married for 47 years. I have two sons who are in the ministry, Jay Carney and Jerem Carney. Jerem now is the pastor of Woodlawn Church. Two wonderful daughter-in-laws, six grandchildren, two boys and four girls, the youngest being about six hours old. We had a new arrival this morning. So that's kind of a little of my life. Well, congratulations, man. That is exciting. That is really exciting. And what a what a what an awesome experience growing up in in that kind of an atmosphere in, in the church. And and you talked a little bit about that you you didn't get started uh, right away as a young person, maybe going into full time ministry. Uh, but you worked in you worked a job. You you were involved in the church. And talk a little bit about how you first got started in ministry. Well, I, I, like you say, I attended the Woodlawn Church um, from uh, 1974 to 1987. 1985, which I was really involved in the church here. I was church secretary and treasurer. I'm Pastor Odom. Um, did a little of it all. Uh, led, led singing. They didn't call him worship pastor back then. You know, he was just song leader. But um was involved in the educational part, uh, youth leaders and things of that nature. But in 1985, I started feeling my call 
to the ministry. Uh, like I say, I've been raised in a preacher's home all my life, uh, but just didn't want to be in ministry. Certainly love, I have a love for God and love preachers. But um, from 85 to uh, the early part of January of 87, um, after I kind of acknowledged my call into the ministry, uh, I had the opportunity, you know, some weekends just to go out and minister. Had a lot of personal friends that was pastoring churches that I was raised with, but I uh, never did really evangelize. I was working that full-time job in the construction business, and uh, so first part of '87, I just uh, I just knew that God was fixing to open the door, and uh, I had had an opportunity to try out a church in North Mississippi. Went and uh, tried out and um, did not feel that's where I needed to be. As a matter of fact, I got the call on Saturday before the election was on Sunday by a friend of mine told me I was going to be the next pastor of North Bend, Pentecostal Church in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and I just couldn't feel it, and I got them to pull my name, just would not let them vote on me, because I just didn't feel like that's where it was. And sure. Just a few weeks later, Pastor Odom just resigned out of, we did not see it coming. And, uh, and when he resigned, uh, the church never did try out anybody. They, the board came to me a couple of weeks after the pastor had resigned and said, Hey, we want you to be the next pastor of this church. And I couldn't believe it was even. I was being even considered because that was the furthest thing from my mind, pastoring a church that I had been a layman for 13 years. Mm. And uh, But uh, in March of 1987, um, I was elected pastor of Woodlawn Church, 39 years of age. I thought I was too old, but uh, God's been certainly good to us. And... Uh, and how we're moving into another phase of ministry and just kind of serving as the bishop of this church here in Columbia now. Wow, and there's some, there's some, as you said, there's some really exciting things happening, and I know you have a, a tremendous conference that you do every year that, that I know if there's a young minister listening right now that uh, if, they could, if they're in that area, I know it would be a blessing to them. What, what is the name of your conference that you have every year? <laughs> Impact Conference. This is a conference that some minister friends of mine, uh, Brother Cornwell, Brother Wayne Huntley, felt like we should uh, uh, do here in our local church. We got into our church building, I think it was in 1998, and uh, we did our first Impact Conference. Uh, it's, it's during the summer, but it was designed for a family conference. For the entire family, we certainly key on kids' ministry, youth ministry, as well as uh, ministries for couples. And it wasn't that designed just for ministers only, sure. but um, it has been a tremendous comfort. Uh, we've had it every year. It's the last week in the month of July, and uh, our little town is so small. We finally ended up with... Uh, uh, Two hotels, 
And um, <laughs> a lot of my guests have to stay in Hattiesburg, which is about 30 minutes away. But mm-hmm. uh, um, we 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 have tremendous attendance to that conference in the last few years. It's just been pretty well maxed out for us here in Columbia and the world twenty five hundred and three thousand people. Wow. Uh, the last night or two. So it's it's certainly a great family conference. That's great. Uh, that has really made an impact in Mississippi. Well that's definitely an area that we need to look at in our families and and I, I'm thankful that, that you you have felt a burden along with these other men to to start that ministry and along with that your church has also experienced tremendous revival and growth and and talk about when you first went there and it was kind of sudden for you all of a sudden you're you're the pastor now what how did you develop that that vision or or whatever you would call it for growth and revival well um becoming pastor certainly brought on many challenges and I followed a tremendous uh, preacher of the gospel, a pulpiteer uh, of the Lord Odom. And uh, here I had not had hardly any uh, preaching experience following a dynamic guy like him. And and I knew that, you know, that uh, I, I had my work cut out, so to speak. At the outset, I said to them, you know, I know that I, there's no way I can uh, fulfill this pulpit in the same manner that the former pastor did. But I said, there's two things he can't do better than I can do. And I said, he can't out-pray me, mm. and he can't out-love me. And um, my first year, um, I spent mostly in remodeling the entire old facility. We had built the first building in 1976, and I took the church in 1976, and I took the church in 1987. And so I did a complete facelift auditorium. We was needing Sunday school space, and so we just did a complete remodeling there. And uh, that was in the year of 1987, my first year becoming pastor. And then we felt the need, we needed a family life center. And so we started making plans and drawing plans. And uh, so our second phase was to build a family life center, 33,000 square feet that included commercial kitchen, gym, two-store Sunday school facility. We dedicated that building in 1990. The late N.A. Urshan was our dedicatory guest to preach that fantastic service that night. And uh, in 1990, the next five years, we, we focused completely on reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This period of time, we more than double our congregation. And, you know, most people realize we live in a very small community, Columbia, population between 6,000, 6,500. But uh, everybody knew us, and uh, uh, 
we we never did do any great outreach for us, knocking doors of that nature. Uh, our church was known for uh, great music, great worship. And what we did, we were committed to working our guests who visited our church. Mm. Living here in the Bible Belt, sinners are very scarce. <laughs> you know, they, they know unsaved people here. And so you kind of have to unsave them to save them. But they, they would, if they ever came to our church service and we could get information on them, we worked our guests. And that's, that's, that's what we did. That's what we've done from day one. And, you know, also certainly had a strong, put strong emphasis on teaching home Bible studies. It really became our focus in reaching our community. And in five years, those five years, 1990, 1995, uh, we just all of a sudden realized, man, what are we going to do? We as our little building was filled to capacity. And so we had uh, made no plans to build another facility because we thought that one would last to Jesus come. So that time we started trying to decide what we could do, but we had a particular indebtedness on our family life center, and I just would not start up another facility until we were debt free. In 1996, Father's Day, the church gave me a paid in full deed of trust on our family life center, and uh, we were debt free for about 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we immediately started, uh, got an engineer, architect, drawing plans, and God helped us. In 1998, the month of May, we walked into a completely new auditorium, 60,000 square feet sanctuary. And all I can say is to God be the glory. And uh, in this time now, uh, I'm happy we have been so blessed to become the community church of Columbia. Prior to this, you know, uh, in the Bible Belt, you know, it's always the predominant church in most of the small towns in the Bible Belt or the First Baptist Church. And uh, But our involvement in the local community we have now, over the last several years, really been looked at it in our community as the predominant church. And um, we have uh, certainly put a lot of emphasis in ministering to the community through the chemical dependent program. And um, also now we also are catering to the single mothers with small kids. We have developed a rediscovered village, which is off campus. Um, and this consists of a 10,000 square foot facility where we do our acts program, anger management, parenting class. We do this tonight's week. Also in this particular building, we have a thrift store, first class, second to none that it goes to help support the, the, the village and the community has really bought into this thrift store. And uh, on this piece of property, 
We have been blessed with 15 modular homes. These were homes that were used during Katrina, the latter part of Katrina. They are not trailer, they are modular homes. And uh, we uh, we were given these homes by uh, the government. It's, uh, they donated it hmm. to the 501c3 organization, which was Woodlawn. And uh, now we have uh, the ability to house up to 15 single mothers with small kids. Hmm. Wow. That's, you know, had hard luck. And we, we, uh, we have a program for them and the bottom line, trying to reestablish them, put them back in society. They come, they have not had a, they have not got their high school education. We work with them get, getting a GED. And the beautiful thing about it, they come to our church and just about every one of them has received the Holy Ghost. And Praise God. So. That's great. We have we have been blessed there, and that has really opened up some avenues in our community. And about, about three years ago, we was able to uh, totally renovate our youth center, or our old church, and now we have a beautiful state-of-the-art youth and kids center, 18,000 square feet. That is also a tremendous blessing. To our community. Wow, that's that sounds like an exciting place. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on, man. It's, it's a lot going on. Now, talk to that young person right now that's maybe saying, you know, Brother Carney, you you've got all these things going on, and and just amazing outreach and and programs, and you've got people connected, and and maybe I'm I'm here, and I've I've got you know, a couple kids, or maybe I'm just, you know, working in my local church and, and, you know, that seems so far away. It seems, you know, how can that young person find their vision or, or become that visionary that, that would say, you know, this is, this is what I see, you know, that we can, we can have a woodlawn or, or that this is what God wants to do in my life. How do we connect with that? Well, you know, 27, 28 years ago, I, I can't say that I, I had this vision. I never, never saw this happening in my ministry. But uh, I don't know, it's just something about getting in the will of God and then just seeing a need. Someone asked my boy the other day, said, is your dad a visionary? <laughs> and uh, and he said, you know, I can't say that he is a visionary. Hmm. He said, how would you describe him? He said, he's a man that, this is kind of the way he said it, so I'll just repeat what he said. He said, he sees, he, he said, I would say he's an opportunity. He sees an opportunity. If God puts an opportunity before him, he is able to somehow get a hold of it and just bring it to pass. Uh, he sees the moment of, of of a ministry when it happens, and and said if he ever starts something, he he, he follows through. He just won't he just won't back up. 
until he sees it through. Until, you know, I can't say that I had a vision of all of this, but it was just one step at a time. Hmm. But the, the biggest thing is you got to see a need. And when you see a need, God will give you the ability and he'll give you a plan. He'll give you, I guess, a vision to meet that need. And, and that's what, you know, that's just kind of, we have went from one step to the next step. Uh, we had, we had no idea about this, uh, these, uh, homes for mothers with small children. I did think we would have a halfway house one day because we were in the acts program. We'd work with a lot of guys that's been in the prison system. But uh, when we got to looking at the, the worst need in our community, and that was single moms, battered women, that had no place to go, and we just decided to go that route. And uh, here we are, you know, hmm. uh, just making a major impact in our community through that ministry. Who were some of the people that that impacted you the most, and why would you say that they impacted you? Well, first of all, it was my father, uh, Reverend A. Carney. My dad was a mentor of young ministers. He pastored a little country church called State Line. I said earlier, located in Mississippi, but was affiliated with the Louisiana District. But uh, he was a mentor of young men in preparation for the gospel. He was a very humble man who had a great love for people. And um, I grew up attending youth camps and camp meetings to the Louisiana District. And um, But Dad... I don't know. Uh, he was not a camp leading speaker. He didn't preach conferences, but uh, he had a way of just connecting with young guys, such as the G.R. Travis's, the Jerry Jones, and developing them, uh, giving them opportunity for ministry in the in the local church. Uh, you know, I can remember Jerry Jones. Uh, teaching the adult class when he was 15 years old, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just saw how that he would just put them out there, hey, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, that just made a tremendous impact on me. Uh, when I became pastor, I just said, man, I, I want to do what I can to uh, help young guys and uh, to reach their potential. And um, I think, you know, I would say my dad has made the greatest impact in my life. Uh, he did not get to be a part of my ministry very long. He passed away after I had been pastor, I think, two years. I was getting prepared to move him to Columbia to be with me, but that didn't happen. And when dad passed, um, uh, Bishop G.R. Travis walked into my life and um, I say he would made the uh, he became the, the the greatest impact in my life after the death of my father. He became my best pastor and bishop. He had full access to Woodlawn Church, veto power in my life and in my church. And um, so I, 
he he helped mentor me in my early ministry. Uh, Brother Travis did, and then it's kind of you know, but the thing from my mind, I'd ever only been in a boardroom twice in my entire life <laughs> when I was elected district superintendent of the state of Mississippi. Oh wow! Uh, super, Brother Travis had retired, and uh, uh, I, I had no idea this was fixing to happen in my life. But uh, thank God he was uh, four years that I was superintendent. I had him sitting there right by me in those board meetings. Mm. <laughs> he was definitely my rock of Gibraltar. He was he was just right there. And uh, he also became a major influence in the life of my sons, Jay and Jerem. And right before his death, I had the privilege to see him lay hands of anointing on my boys and speak the word of prophecy into their life. And mm. they will be forever impacted by G.R. Travis. So that kind of, I would say those two men is what helped mold me and, and to where I'm at today. I will admit after the passing of Brother Travis, uh, I didn't have a man of God in my life. Uh, I prayed about it for a couple of years. Um, and just said, God, you got, you got, I got to have a pastor. And uh, I was in. Uh, on a safari trip in South Africa. And God gave me a vision of the pastor in my life that I needed, and that was none other than Jerry Jones. And uh, so Jerry Jones, even though I'm a little bit older than him, he is he's my pastor. And uh, I certainly looked at him. And, and he, he did make an impact in my life, just watching him come up as a young man and he was very close to his family and to him. And so he's been a tremendous influence as well. well and, and you know, what really stands out to me is is the fact that you as an older man are looking and saying, I, I still have to have someone to, to speak into my life. And, and I think that's a good point for, for every young person that we don't ever get too old uh and we don't ever get to a place yeah. where we we can say, you know, I don't need anyone else. We always need to have someone in our life that can that can speak into our hearts and our minds. You're so right, Brother Tapio. I, I would certainly say there must be a man of God, a pastor in every man's life. I don't care what age, but I would certainly um, say that has to be that. There must be great emphasis because there's got to be accountability in, in a person's life. And I don't think I, we could put too much emphasis on the importance of accountability. That is a must. We're talking about younger people connecting, uh, and this is specifically for young ministers, but how do we connect older and younger generations? Um. You know, they probably have fallen on both sides. The younger don't think the older uh, is interested in them like they should. And then, um, you know, maybe the older guys maybe feel that the younger uh, just don't feel the importance of having maybe an elder in their life. But, uh, you know, I know uh, there's nothing like dialogue, and I do believe 
you have a lot of great elders in our in our movement that want to connect to young preachers, and uh, uh, I certainly appreciate uh, some out there that that's really trying to be available. I know my son is a young guy, young man, Jerem, who is now senior pastor here. He's only 34 years old. But, uh, you know, I, I encouraged him to go outside of my covering and to find some good guys out there that he feels like he would like to connect to that's older than him. And, uh, which I've been very thankful, uh, some of the men that has, that has made a impact in his life were men that I had brought in, uh, when, Jaron was a lot younger, and uh, they really, really, you know, uh, became just close to him in relationship. Uh, and then there are those that, uh, you know, you see him speaking at conferences, but maybe not a, having a one-on-one type of relationship. But I encouraged my son to reach out to them. I said, I believe they will connect with you, and I'm so thankful. Men like Raymond Woodward, he is he is my young know, my sons. Uh, they they just connected, and they they talk. Uh, and um, my son, if he has a question uh, that you know maybe, and I don't totally agree on every little point, uh, he'll call Brother Woodward, and I think. Every young man's got to have that in their life, but they need to look at strong men, men that's got going in the crib and, and, and reach out to them. Be, be proactive. Don't wait till them, they come to you, you know, because, uh, the older generation maybe don't know how to really connect to the younger guys, but I really believe if our younger guys will really reach out to these men, they they would they want to become mentors in the life of this younger generation. I just think we got a, a a lot of them there like that. Amen, amen, and I would agree with that. There are, uh, in, at least in my experience, doing interviews and and uh, some of the travel I've done. You know, it's an honor, and and a lot of guys feel kind of maybe how you feel in the sense that. You have been impacted greatly by some men that took the time to connect with you, and you want to pass that on. And so I think there's something in a lot of our older ministers that says, you know, I've received, and therefore I want to give. And so, you know, a lot of younger ministers, I think you'll find that to be true. Uh, now, Brother Carney, what, what qualities would you look for in a successful young minister? Well... His love for people, uh, to me, is is something, or uh, his relationship to people. I think to be successful in ministry, there's one quality that a young man must have, and he has to have a tremendous love for people, because ministry is all about the people business. You're in the people business. And I tell my young guy, if you don't love people, don't go in ministry. You know, 
because uh, it's, 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 it's a tough world. It really is. And the people that you love the most will disappoint you the most many times. And the people you spend the most time with many times will disappoint you the most. But it cannot uh, take away your love for humanity. Uh, if you lose one, uh, you, you just got to do it again. You've got to be vulnerable to people. And I think if a young man is going to be successful, particular in pastoral work, he has to have tremendous love for people and manifest a lot of patience because we're in the disciple business. It's all about making disciples. And uh, just conversion, conversion for a moment, but discipling is a lifetime effort on the part of a pastor. And uh, I know there's some ministries that maybe you can, a young man can get involved in that not dealing, so to speak, with day-to-day humanity. But I'm speaking of pastoral ministry. You must have a tremendous love for people. And that comes about, I believe, Blue Tapia, having a, a, a divine call in your life. Okay. And if you know your calling is for pastoral, uh, there was no doubt in my mind when God started dealing with me in 1985. It was, it was pastoral. Uh, I, I never felt, uh, the, you know, most, most guys are going to evangelize for a period of time. I, I never felt that. I, man, I was 30, 38 years old and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I just never felt the evangelistic ministry in my life. And, uh, and so, when I became pastor, which I had worked in the secular world, you know, up until then after I got out of college. And one of the things I did uh, here in Columbia, I gave, I worked this church like I worked a secular job. It was every day. Mm. It was every day. And, uh, and but it, it just gets back to loving people. And if God has called you into the ministry and you love people, you will be successful. Just in closing, Brother Carney, what advice would you give to a young minister that feels a call into ministry? First of all, have a pastor in your life and uh, stay connected to that pastor. Okay. Um, I do think one thing that helps, uh, for a man that's that are feeling that he is going into pastoral work, if he could get a degree of some kind, uh, whether it's a theological degree or a secular degree, but I think uh, uh, a guy in particular in small community, and that's all I'm familiar with, you know, it carries credibility if you've got. Uh, education of some sort. And I know you can call God can be on you and be a great preacher without a degree. But uh, I've watched it through the years. A lot of our pastors going back, getting degrees in theology, even many of them going so far as getting doctorate degree. But I would recommend continual education of some sort throughout their ministry. Don't 
but uh, it it carries credibility in a community. Um, when a man has has an education and and the public sees that, and I, I certainly think it will help in maturity issues as well. And so, both of my boys, I did encourage both of them as young men. I felt like they were going into the ministry. Um, I didn't know for sure, but I did feel that, you know, God was dealing with them as coming up through it, their last year through high school. And, and so they both went to secular college and my oldest son got a degree in construction engineering and then went back and got his master's in business. And then my young son, who now pastors this church, has a degree of accounting like I do, a BS degree of accounting. But to me, that carries credibility, uh, also with his local church as well, I think. So I, I, I think I would encourage young men, after their life, get as much education as they can get, apply themselves, and I'm telling you, uh, everything with God is about timing. They don't have to get in a hurry. Just uh, stay out of that man of God, and when the timing is right, uh, the door will open and then step step through. Seize that opportunity when it comes to be prepared. And I think as a young man, even though I was involved in the business world and the secular world, I was gaining so much uh, experience and dealing with people and dealing with business people. And and uh, I was a general manager of a construction company that had around 300 employees. And uh, when I came here first year, we turned about a million dollars. Thirteen years later, when I left the company, we turned almost $30 million that year. And so it gave me great business experience. So, you know, I don't think they, those were wasted years in my life. And, and probably I wouldn't have been successful if I hadn't had that. You know, I don't know. But uh, I know when I turned 35, God started digging with me some. And then at the age of 38, I said, okay, God, <laughs> this is it. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's just some of the things that uh, I would encourage a young man feeling call. I wonder, it, just in closing, if, if you could say a prayer over that young person that is feeling a call right now, and, and maybe there's a young person that, that is working on the secular community right now, and they're saying, you know, what am I going to do with this, and how am I going to use this? And, and uh, maybe, you know, there's a young person yeah. that just feels like, you know, they're trying to make that next step and they're they're having some hesitation or, or whatever it is. I, I wonder if you just take a minute and, and pray for that young person right now. Let's do it. Father, thank you for this opportunity that Brother Pepper has given me to share my heart, my burden. Thank you for that young man that, yes, you've called his name. He sensed that there's something that you're calling him to be a part of in his life. And I know the steps of good men are ordered by the Lord, but I want to pray for that young man that he can sense that there is a God 
that, God, you're real in his life. And there is a calling. And even though they may not hear your audible voice, there would be a divine urge that will keep coming and keep coming and speaking into his life. God, I know you have your own way how you call men and things that you allow to happen in their life and experiences that they encounter in their life, oh God. But it's all because of a plan and a purpose you have for their life. And I pray, God, they can be open to your will and be open to the voice of God and to the purpose of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, and I know there's a great work yet to be done. We're living in the last days, and you're calling young men, and we need young men, oh God, to to accept that call and help them to realize that they can be successful in apostolic ministry. You have a place for them. And I know, Lord Jesus, you will make it happen in their life if they will just humble themselves and submit Oh, God, to your word, to your spirit, to the man of God in their life. And as days go by and months go by and years go by, the pieces of the puzzle can be put together in their life. And when the timing is right, they will do the work of God. And you will use them, oh, God, in a mighty way. You're no respected person, and thank God you're not. And I pray some way, somehow, things that have been spoken here tonight, thank you for Brother Tapian, his burden to impact the lives of young men. And I just pray that you'll continue to use him and lead him as he makes this happen through his ministry and make this impact in the lives of young men. We ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Give you the glory and the honor for it. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Carney. It's it's been an honor to uh, to have you uh, talking with us and sharing this, and and we just appreciate your insight. and And uh, I know this is really going to be a blessing to somebody's life. Well, maybe hope so. But uh, thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed talking with you. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. If you'd like to connect with our guest or find links to any recommended resources, you can go to the show notes of this podcast at ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast, and there you'll find a link to all of our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and God bless.